Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. At 17.30 GMT, this is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umaru Sanda Amadou. Tonight, I'm here with... Eno Safo. And coming up over the next 90 minutes... The Accra International Conference Center Redevelopment Project. Uh, hoping 160 million euros, 160 million euros has been earmarked for this project. More stumbling blocks hit government's 2023 budget as committees in parliament continue to kick against several issues, including the construction of a new conference center. Also coming up, Ghanaian health sector workers to embark on a strike from Tuesday to protest government's debt restructuring program, which affects their pensions. And later on Eyewitness News. So government must lead in this entire exercise. First of all, government must realize it is primarily responsible. You have got more resources than ever before. More pressure on government to act its part in the current economic crisis. But the governing party, the NPP, says it deserves credit for the new turn in the economy. Let's listen to General Secretary of the party, Justin Kodia. You also find it as gratifying that owing to the massive appreciation in the value of the city, Prices of petroleum products at the pump have reduced, resulting in a 15.3 reduction in transport fares as announced by the transport unions. That's in 50 minutes, not in 50 minutes, that's um, a story we are looking at here on Eyewitness News. Stay with us because we have that and several other stories, including business news, which will be coming up in 15 minutes with Nashika Caesar. Now, what do you have for us? Ghana's gross domestic product GDP growth rate for the third quarter of 2022 slows to 2.9% as compared to the same period of 2021, which stood at 6.5%. Eyewitness News is live across Ghana on a number of affiliate stations, including Adrian Power 100.7 FM in Takwa, Beach 105.5 FM in Takradi, and Sky Power 93.5 FM also in Takradi. Both of them. All three stations actually are in the western region. In the Bono region, we are on Greener 95.9 FM in Sunyani. If you go to the Ashanti region, we are on Adrian Power 99.9 FM in Inkawe. In the Volta region, Heritage 107.3 FM in Hohwe. Freedom 88.1 FM in Sugakopa is also bringing you this broadcast in the Volta region. If you go to the northern region... Radio Gaki 88.3 FM in Saboba is bringing you Eyewitness News Live. In the Upper East Region, we are on Quality 88.7 FM in Garu. Also in the Upper West Region, on Ganga 94.3 FM in Jirapa. If you go to the Northeast Region, we are live on Nobia 98.1 FM in Nalerugu. Do send us your reactions to the stories we are bringing you by sending a message on WhatsApp via the number 0549-986-996. 0549-986-996. You can also put your messages on the comment section of the live Facebook feed you are watching on CTFM's Facebook handle, 
We are live on Facebook via City973 and you get to see what's happening in the studio as well as hear uh, what we are telling you about the big stories of the night. So those are the platforms. You can also send a tweet using the hashtag City Newsroom, tweet at Umarusanda or at City973 and the world will hear what you think. The minority NDC in Parliament has been fighting the government's plan to continue with a building of a national cathedral, especially at this time where the economy is uh, struggling. Yesterday, the committee that was supposed to approve the budgetary allocation for the construction of the cathedral voted against it um, by 11 to 10. Tonight, we're hearing that the government, aside the National Cathedral, is engaged in another construction work, or is planning under construction work, which again has been shut down by the minority side. Samuel Kujeto Ablakwa, uh, you can call him the lead anti-cathedral member of parliament for uh, North Town and the ranking member on the Foreign Affairs Committee of Parliament. We've called him on the line not to speak about the cathedral, which I'm sure he's excited about, but the other things they are blocking. Honorable, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Hi, Omaru. Uh, thank you for having me. I just called you an anti-cathedral crusader, but that's not what we're talking about. It seems you have turned your attention now to the conference center. What is the story with the government and your opposition in parliament? Well, good evening to you and good evening to all our distinguished uh, listeners. Uh, it, it will appear, Umaru, that this government really um, does not appear to uh, understand or appreciate uh, the enormity of the crisis that 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 uh, they have created for us. They really are living in a bubble, in a world of their own, and they have no end in sight when it comes to cooking all these schemes that are not a priority. They appear to be specializing in vanity projects, fanciful projects, which can wait, which can wait for good economic times. So the latest is that the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, which uh, my committee has oversight on, uh, appeared before us, and their outlook for 2023 the projects that they have prioritized that they want to implement in 2023 includes, will you believe it, demolishing the Accra International Conference Center and constructing a new one. They say that they are in talks with a Turkish consortium uh, and they are Ghanaian collaborators and that uh, the Accra International Conference Center is not fit for purpose and that they have... Uh, uh, put an estimate together, uh, which is 116 million euros. Uh, at today's exchange, that is some 1.3 billion Ghana cities. And they wanted us to, uh, to endorse that project, to give them, uh, approval. The, uh, ministry also indicated that they intend to open new diplomatic missions in, uh, Jamaica, Trinidad and Tobago and then Mexico. So these are the projects that I can confirm to you that our side, the NDC side of the committee, vehemently opposed. And uh, if you read the committee's report, uh, you notice that uh, the report is very, very clear. It was read at plenary. The minister moved the motion uh, yesterday, and uh, the report, which was approved by the House, is clear that those two projects, 
the Accra International Conference Center, and then the uh, Diplomatic Mission Expansion Project in Mexico, Jamaica, Trinidad, and Tobago uh, cannot go ahead in 2023. Uh, the, 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 the government must hold on to those vanity projects. And you see, the Accra International Conference Center proposal, I recall that sometime in 2019, we went on a tour of the, uh, the conference center, and it was clear when you uh, saw the underground that there are some cracks and some structural defects. But at the time, uh, we were clear that we need to see some expert advice. We want engineers to do a structural integrity report and let us have an independent assessment of the extent of the defects. Uh, that report has not come. And we, we, we reminded the ministry that as we speak, and I, I, I repeated this on the floor of the House uh, last night, that as we speak, we have not seen the structural integrity report. We have not seen the feasibility report. We have not seen the value for money report. And yet, government wants to go ahead. You see, what is even more troubling is that only this year, from the deputy minister's uh, account to us at committee, the Honorable Amprechum, he told us that only this year, their ministry spent some $3 million renovating the conference center ahead of the Africa Development Bank conference, which was held this year uh, in Ghana. Ghana hosted that conference. So if you have just spent $3 million this year, I mean, how on earth should we be coughing up 160 million euros, 1.3 billion Ghana cities. At this time, at a time that if you look at the social interventions in this 2023 budget, government's own priority interventions, you remember you start, government told us that that is their panacea for job creation for the youth. There is no allocation. Government said we are in hard time, so could not make an allocation for USTAC. Remember, government had promised that from 2022 to 2025, every year there will be an allocation in the budget of 1 billion Ghana cities. This year, government could not continue. Take Agenda 111. If you read the 2023 budget carefully, there is no allocation for Agenda 111. You take Maslock. Maslock has taken a major cut. In a time like this, you will have thought that Maslock would rather see some increase in its allocation so that our struggling SMEs, you know, uh, uh, traders who have really uh, faced uh, major difficulties under this, you know, uh, 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 terrible times will have some sucker with Maslow. But that, that, that hasn't happened. So you are seeing cuts to all of this. NAPCO. NAPCO trainees, you remember government cancelled the program during the media review in July this year. But there are arrears. The nine-month arrears of this year and then the, uh, the some between three to seven months. I met the, the, the association last week and they showed me data about arrears. The arrears averages from 13 to 17 months. Government could not make an allocation in the 2023 budget to clear these arrears. And then in the midst of all of these difficulties, when people are being forced to take haircuts, government says that they cannot take care of the, their obligations. They've put out a statement. For the first time, we have defaulted 
I mean, we, they've taken us back to the Achampong uh, era of the 70s. We are defaulting. We are insolvent. Ghana is broke. That's what is happening now. I mean, you have pensioners who are not guaranteed their pensions. They are asked to take a haircut. How on earth, in the midst of all this myriad of crises, this hydra headache conundrum we find ourselves in, the government will be, I mean, pursuing such a project. It's, 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 it's mind-boggling, totally unconscionable. And that is why we are glad that we have scuttled this for 2023, and we will keep scuttling it because this really cannot be... Look, yes, conferences, you know, uh, to attract uh, conferences to be a destination for high-profile conferences and international gatherings come with some, you know, image enhancement. And we understand that. Qatar has received a lot of mileage hosting, you know, uh, a high-profile event like the World Cup. I'm not oblivious of those things, but you pursue such vanity projects in good times. Do you think that if Qatar was facing economic difficulties like we are, they would they would have even been there to host the World Cup? So countries with leaders who have vision, who have empathy, who are sensitive to their concrete conditions, to the plight of the suffering masses, know what to prioritize. This cannot be a project that should even have featured in the... Uh, uh, consideration of the estimates for the 2023 budget. So you have not, in principle, opposed to the construction of a conference center or the expansion work of our embassies abroad. You are just looking at the exigencies of the time and saying that it is not yours. That is your only difficulty. So let me be clear. First of all, we want to be convinced that if some work must be done on the Accra International Conference Center after we have spent $3 million this year on renovations. We want to see an independent structural integrity report. They have not presented any such report to Parliament. They have not. Umaru, you and the media, if they have shared some reports with the media, you can let us know. We in Parliament, we haven't seen the structural integrity report. So we are not convinced, that is where we start from, we are not convinced that there is the need to raise down, to totally demolish. And this government seems to have a pension for demolitions. I mean, they will not want to add, they will not want to, uh, uh, I mean, just do a quick fix, which will cost less. They always want to go for demolitions and pursue grandeur projects. Take the National Cathedral, which is now moving around $400 million. And in the process, they demolish the uh, passport headquarters. They demolish the scholarship secretariat. They demolish bankers for judges. They demolish the Judicial Training Institute. They demolish Comsys IT firm. They demolish Waterstone Realty Apartments. Demolish all of these projects at, 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 at substantial cost to the suffering taxpayer. Hundreds of millions of Ghana cities. Why? Why? Even rich countries, this is not the project implementation model they adopt. They first look at minimal costs to the taxpayer, to the environment, to the economy. But that is not what we see. So let me be clear. First of all, we are not convinced. 
that this Accra International Conference Center should be demolished. We are not convinced. Not when we have, we have spent $3 million only this year preparing for the Africa Development Bank Conference, which came off successfully without incident. There was no uh, accident. There was no uh, uh, emergency. I mean, everything happened uh, uh, according to, uh, to, to, to schedule, according to plan. So we are not convinced. Then we are also saying that we want to see the value for money report. This 106 million euros is coming from the, 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 the promoters. I mean, who does that? This is not even a competitive process. They haven't opened this up for others to compete and then so that we can have competitive pricing to, to, to give us the best value. That hasn't happened. They've just handpicked uh, uh, cronies and they are saying that this is uh, the amount they have presented. No value for money reports, no independent valuation or assessment. So we will not accept it. So after they, we have, we, we have looked at these, 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 these headers. Then we come to, is this even a priority? Should we be thinking about this now? So that, that is the next stage. So that if they, they satisfy the first stage, let's say they bring, they're able to produce an independent structural integrity report, which aligns with their position. Then they bring a feasibility report. They bring a value for money report, which is okay. We move to the second stage. Even if, for the sake of argument, all of those reports turn out to support their, their policy directive, we will then ask, is this a priority? We do not think that this can be a priority at this time. It, 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 look, at the meeting, we asked the reps from the IMF, uh, sorry, from the Ministry of Finance, if the IMF has seen this project. And they said no, they were now in the process of, you know, going through the, the project, uh, 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 project assessment and approval phase and that they are yet to get a green light from, from the IMF. So it tells you that this is a project that they are even hiding from key stakeholders, including the IMF, which we are clear in our minds that the IMF will not be approving, you know, a project of this nature at a time like this. I mean, how do we look? A country that is insolvent, that has defaulted, mm, a country that is doing uh, debt restructure or debt exchange, whatever euphemism you want to use. And then this is the priority project at this time. I mean, what, what is wrong with that? Is the government jinxed? Are they cursed or what? You, you, you can't get it. I have a question for you. Uh, the issue of in in, um, the structural integrity of the building has come into question. You are saying you are yet to see an independent report on that. What if touch wood, this building collapses on people who have gone there for an event? Their blood will be on your hands. Do you not think that you should possibly start looking at that? Because you have already accepted that you have seen the, the, the conference center and it's not in good shape. Do you not think that even though we are in difficult times, we should also not uh, take our lives for granted and so that our patrons who will be going to this event center, our foremost event center, ought to be protected and that if you do not approve this particular budget, you are risking the lives of Ghanaians? So, Umaru, brilliant question, but let's get the chronology right. I said that we were taking on a tour in 2019 
uh, as a sector committee responsible for assets under the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Uh, we, sh- we saw the defect in 2019. Uh, then we asked for uh, the engineers to uh, present a report, the structural integrity report, so we would know the extent. I mean, because just we are not engineers, we are not experts on uh, housing and all of these matters related to, you know, uh, uh, fiscal structures. So we asked for an independent report so that we can, a structural integrity report, then we can, you know, uh, decide on what we are going to support government to do. So that was in 2019. That report has not been presented to us. Then this year, the Deputy Minister Honorable Aprichum told us at committee that they have spent $3 million in renovating the conference center ahead of the Africa Development Bank conference. You remember that uh, that was a high-profile conference that took place earlier this year. So that's the chronology. So my understanding is that after we saw those defects in 2019, they have found money to carry out some uh, renovation, which made the place uh, safe for a major international conference this year, 2022. So once that has been done, I am not sure that we are still in that precarious state that we saw in 2019. So it will be so it will it will be important for us to now have the latest situation after we have spent three million dollars on the Akai International Conference Center. Are we not sure that three million dollars is a is a great deal of money? It's a lot of money. Are we are we not sure that perhaps all of those defects that we saw in 2019 have been addressed? Because I, I would be surprised that an internationally, you know, reputable body like the Africa Development Bank, their security team, their advanced team, all these, their um, their protocol guys and experts in their mess will come and uh, approve a facility a venue. Uh, for international conference when they are not sure about its structural integrity. So I, I, I want to believe that uh, the conference center, after that $3 million investment in renovating the facility, is now in a much better place, and we can, we can, we can use it in these difficult times for some time. But I am willing to be objective uh, uh, and to even give them the benefit of the doubt as uh, as high as, as as that comes, and to say that let's have the current structural integrity report after we have spent these $3 million, and let's know if really this project should still be a priority at this time. And if really, because, look, we've done, we have our own independent uh, checks. We have ways of really doing our assessment before we take positions on markets. And 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 we 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 receiving contrary opinion that after the three million dollar investment in renovating that facility, that conference center can serve as well for 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 some time for a good number of years, and that this whole idea of raising it to the ground, totally demolishing it, and then constructing a new one is 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 is, is not the best option. For Ghana, if you are looking at a, the, the, I mean, the, the, 
the, the, the, the economics in terms of the models that were available for us to use, even if there has to be some work on the conference center. This, this is not the model that we should be adopting. Let's leave it here. Thank you. I was going to ask you about more uh, objections, but I'm not sure. Maybe it will not be your committee, so it will not be fair to ask you about that. Or I don't know if I should be asking you about that. Oh, I can, I can, I can. I'm, I'm just seeing. That. I'm just seeing that uh, you have suspended the approval of the budget estimate for two billion to the Ministry of Finance. Come on, the Ministry of yes. Finance. You're yes. stopping their budget. Yes. It means they also stop yes. our budget. Yes, yes, and you should expect more. That because they've put in there a dubious allocation of one billion. Very, very, very dubious allocation. And we are going to vote and, and we're, we're going to go. We are more than them. We are making full good use of our, of our numbers. Uh, so expect, we, we've taken a decision on that. We are going to, uh, because that allocation, one billion for what? Economic mobilization. What, what animal is that? One billion for economic mobilization. Then remember the contingency vote as well. They allocated 1.4 billion. Last year, only last year, 2022, it was 993 million. They've, they've, they've added more than 400 million to it. At the time that you say austerity, that you say that we should be protecting the public purse, we should all bear with you, uh, we are in this together. It turns out that you are, you are alone. We are on our own. You are cruising, you are in cloud nine, you are still in your profligacy mood. And then we should bear the brunt as you continue to inflict more recklessness upon us. So that contingency vote as well, I can tell you that is one of the things that we are not going to support. You are going to see a major car. We've told them that we will not accept anything beyond 500 million. And they've gone back into discussion. So I can assure you that there's a tall list. Don't forget there's National Cathedral, 80 million. We are not endorsing. Uh, there's, 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 um, uh, the, the, the embassies as well, which we are not going to at this time. Yes, I understand that Mexico has opened an embassy here and there's the need for some reciprocity. But Mexico came when their economy was good, when they were in good times. So they will understand that, that when things get better for us, when our economy improves, we will then reciprocate and open. Nobody is against, you know, expanding our diplomatic frontiers. But even that, Let's look at our calculations, trade volumes, you know, strategic interests and alliances and all of that. You don't see those things in the considerations of these, of, 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 of these decisions. So I can assure you, Umaru, that we are not done with our list of, 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 of problematic items in this budget that, that must go. Else we will all be held in complicity. Mm, mm. We will be held complicit. The, the Ghanaian people will say that we are aligning with this reckless profligate MPP government to inflict more hardship, more suffering than what has been done already upon, upon their heads. Let's leave it here. Thank you so much for your time. Honorable Samuel Kujetua Blakwa is MP for North Town and the ranking member on the Foreign Affairs Committee of Parliament. When we come back, we hear from the uh, majority side. The chief whip would have a chat with us about how he's going to whip his members into fighting this um, continuous rejection of the appropriation uh, bill. Uh, by members of parliament and plans to go on recess tonight. Please stay. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. You welcome back to Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. Our focus tonight is uh, mostly on parliament. We have reactions coming through and more stories. Enu? 
Parliament has suspended the approval of budget estimates for over 2 billion Ghana cities for the services of the Finance Ministry for the year 2023. This comes after the minority raised concerns about the allocation of 1 billion Ghana cities for resource mobilization by the Ministry within the estimates. The group says until the Ministry provides the needed details on the essence of the allocation for resource mobilization, it cannot support its approval. Here's Minority Leader Harun Ejusu speaking on the floor of Parliament. As the Minister for Finance a while ago was here, and we need him, or the Honourable Abner, if you have mandated as you should, explain. Mr. Speaker, in the budget of the Minister of Finance, we see compensation of 566 million. Then, Mr. Speaker, they have allocated resource mobilization and economic relations, one billion. And we, our attitude is for government to reduce expenditure and cut expenditure. So we are not convinced that why do you need one billion to mobilize resources? When the Ghana Revenue Authority has, 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 has some money allocated to it for purposes of resource mobilization. As far as we know, resource mobilization is collecting taxes in a manner which is effective and efficient. So if the Ministry of Finance does not give us a convincing explanation, we think that this is part of what they should be getting from the budget. To save, to save the country this one billion, what do you need one billion for in the name of resource mobilization? Is it not GRA we should mobilize resources by collecting taxes? So explain to us what is this one billion meant for and convince us why we should not ask that it should be part of the budget cuts. Why are you giving this money to the Ministry of Finance to do what? When you are paid to work, then you want to be paid to resource, to mobilize your resources. Is, is it a mandate of the Ministry of Finance to do that? That is why you have the Ghana Revenue Authority. They are to raise revenue, mobilize revenue in accordance with law. So, Mr. Speaker, what the Deputy Leader is asking for, may I respectfully refer you to page 9 of the committee's report, page 9, the third item after finance headquarters. You already have 1.6 billion allocated to headquarters. 1.6 billion. Is there? Page 9, Mr. Speaker, you see it. On top, you see 566 million. So, they must explain to us what the 1 billion for resource mobilization stands for before you put the question. If we are convinced, I will support it. If we are not convinced, we will vote against it. Why do you need 1 billion? You heard the minority leader, Haruna Idrisu. Now the deputy finance minister, Benal Sayasari, says part of the resource mobilization seeks to strengthen institutional capacity for economic management. I think uh, we debated on this last week Friday, and I mentioned that um, resource mobilization and economic relations is just um, a name of one of the divisions at the Ministry of Finance, and they are responsible for mobilizing all the multilateral and bilateral loans that we use to support government. Please, when you listen, you will hear her. Honorable member. So, Mr. Speaker, when you, when you look at the Ministry of Finance um, reports on page 9 under Finance Headquarters, it states all the divisions at the Ministry of Finance and resource mobilization economic relations is one of the divisions at the Ministry of Finance. 
and they are responsible for the bilateral, multilateral, and all the GP funds that we raise to support the budget. And so, um, this two days ago, we, we showed the breakdown to we sent the breakdown to the committee, and Mr. Speaker, as part of the breakdown. We showed that 5.2 million of this is going to be used for the strengthening individual or individual strengthening institutional capacity for for DRM and economic management. We also mentioned that the financial sector development project, where we were going to operationalize and maintain the core banking system, is also part of this um, allocation. And that is 79 million. We also mentioned that the Ghana Development Finance Project which is under the Development Bank operationalization, that also will take about 110 million. We mentioned that the gift system, we wanted to upgrade the ICT gift system, and that will also take a portion of that. Mr. Speaker, I will hand in this document as we did um, at the Finance Committee. But to, to, to state that the resource mobilization and economic relations is just one of the divisions and the Ministry of Finance, and they are responsible for maintaining our bilateral and multilateral loans that we use to support the budget. Respect to this submitted, Mr. Speaker. You heard the Deputy Finance Minister, Banao Oseyasari. So while the minority is in the chamber fighting uh, the government, there was a group of Ghanaians under the umbrella Justice for Ghana that was fighting outside the chamber through the uh, mass action of picketing. They were making some demands uh, of Parliament. They say living conditions from government must improve. Selom Dramani Dramado is a convener of the Justice for Ghana group. They were at the demonstration to, or the picketing today. He's joined us on the line. Uh, Mr. Dramado, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Sander. So you were at Parliament and at Jubilee House, or you were just at Parliament? And what have you been demanding? Okay, we were at uh, the National Cathedral project site and the frontage of Parliament House, and later went into the House to present our petition to the leadership. And what were the specific demands you were making? Okay, we demanded from the leadership of Parliament, our elected, our elected representatives, to block the construction or the money, the 80 million Ghana CD earmarked in the 2023 budget for the construction of a useless edifice called National Cathedral. We want that thing to be blocked and voted against entirely. And then again, um, the freeze on public sector employment, because today as we speak, under this government, Ghana has recorded the highest unemployment rates. Yet government is telling us, or government has the temerity to announce in the 2023 budget that they will put a freeze on public sector employment. That, we think, is an affront and insensitivity to the suffering jobless uh, Ghanaian youth. And that is why we are asking our elected representatives to vote against that. Who did you meet, and what was your reaction when you went? Okay, we actually presented um, the petition to the leadership of the House. So the minority leader and a rep, a representative of the majority leader, they um, took our petition and promised solemnly, even through their body language and countenance, that they 
the the seventhly which they would work on uh, the petition we presented. That was the assurance they indeed gave us that they would definitely work on the content of our petition. So that will be the end. You have closed. No, we've got, we've got series of activities to actually, you know, make this government this insensitive, crassly incompetent government to sit up. Because the government has plunged us into a monstrous mountain of mess, and they are not doing anything to ameliorate the suffering we are going through or grappling with. They are not doing anything to alleviate our suffering. That is why we must put the government on its toes. That we voted for them to ameliorate our living conditions, not to aggravate them. So if government is continuously compounding our problems, it is incumbent on our citizens to sit up and rise up to government to do the right things that they are enjoined by the constitution to do. So we've got series of activities lined up to be executed. So the insensitive and intransigent Akufabi administration will learn to be sensitive and will come back to planet Earth to know that there is indeed an excruciating hardship that Ghanaians are mined in. So you have done the picketing, you have presented a petition, and uh, your hope is that the members of parliament uh, would um, listen to your call. They have been re- have re- rejecting a number of the appropriations brought before them. I believe that's what you've been asking for. You want more? Yeah, for the um, in a particular case of the cathedral, we want the whole project expand from our records. Even if there's any record at all in Ghana that that book or that construction should be featured in, it should be the book of infamy. That there used to be a government or an administration that was way aloof from the the realities on the ground and was bent on building a cathedral to honor God. When, in fact, God, the God the president worships is God of truth, yet he wants to build a cathedral that is, uh, you know, being constructed on lies, outright deception and half-truths and controversy. The Christian God is not a God of controversy. It's not God of lies. So therefore, building a cathedral on the basis of lies, deception and manipulation cannot be a dwelling for the Christian God. That we say and say it with all the passion, with abundance of passion and honesty. Very well. Let's leave it here. Thank you for speaking to us. You're welcome. That's Salon Dramani Dramado. He's a convener of the Justice for Ghana group. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 City of Let me bring some of your reactions that you've been sending through. Um, Delali sends a message from Hohoi in the Volta region. He says, if the International Conference Center is not fit for purpose, it should be closed down. Jones Adoboy from La says, no one is against the building of a cathedral. But times and seasons should be paramount in every decision-making. More so, you couldn't even account for the money already spent. To whom much is given, much is expected. Zilis Duane in London says, This government has failed us no long talk. Baba Chairman in Tamale says, The timing of the building of this cathedral, in my opinion, is problematic. Yes, we need a cathedral, but certainly not at this critical moment. Evans in Tema says, It is... Is it not the same government that demolished a functioning hospital in Accra, the La uh, General Hospital, until date hasn't replaced it with even a block? Honestly, which spirit is behind this level of purposeless, directionless, and hopeless decisions? Prof sends a message from Tema. 
And he says the attitude of government, as shown in these budget allocations, is the more reason Labour cannot accept this debt exchange program. It is annoying listening to this. Ken from Bojuasi says, I never knew the MPP would take credit for the fall of the dollar because they blame everything on the Ukraine war. The question is, is the war over? That is why the dollar is failing. They should be truthful to themselves. Let us know what you think too. 0549 Send your messages and the world will hear what you think. Eyewitness News is coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. Talking about debt exchange, you know, tell us what's the latest development in that sector. So the Vice President of Imani Africa, Bright Simmons, has cautioned that Ghana may become a serial defaulter and constantly seek support from the IMF if the debt restructuring is not handled properly. The government's domestic debt exchange program and suspension of payments of some external debts have been criticized heavily. The government has been accused of not treating investors fairly. Speaking on City TV's discussion on Ghana's debt exchange program and the way forward, Bright Simmons indicated that the current approach poses a challenge for the economy even after the restructuring for a fact but when you are doing an adjustment when you are finding a way to increase the relief that you have you have to share the burden equitably so what investors uh, help you achieve versus what you yourself help yourself achieve there has to be some degree of fairness and balance now the problem is when you look at other countries that have done this and you look at how much the burden was and how much reduction they got and you compare that to Ghana's situation, you find out that Ghana seems to want to shift a lot more of the burden to investors than to government. In simple terms, um, whereas is the case that if you take a country like Jamaica, a lot of the debt relief was um, a much smaller part of the overall fiscal adjustment, the overall attempt to live within its means. Ghana seems to want investors to absorb a lot more of its costs. And therefore, we are getting closer to countries like Argentina and Greece in terms of the pain that we are inflicting on um, investors. Uh, so, you know, easy example, if your debt is above 147% and of your GDP and the amount you reduce of your debt stock through the restructuring, the amount you refuse to pay is about 65%. Compared to a country like Ghana, whose debt is around 108% of GDP, but the amount of reduction it wants to reduce of its debt is about 55%. That suggests that you want to shift more of the burden to the investors than you want to use other means, such as for instance, um, uh, which will come to shortly, using fiscal adjustment like uh, cutting your expenditure. And we also have to bear in mind that over the last couple of years, investors have got used to, when a country defaults, they get a lot of their money back. They have got used to and getting more of their money back than used to be in the case. That's Bryce Simmons, he's Vice President of Humani Africa. We'll be hearing more on uh, what happened at that forum, but let's uh, make a quick detour, but remain on the same subject and speak to Dr. Justice Yangsin. He's Vice President of the Ghana Medical Association. You do know that organized labor is at war, and I'm using that word advisedly, with governments over the debt exchange program. Uh, the organized labor is not happy that pensions are going to be affected. There's a plan to go on strike from December 27. That's uh, this coming Tuesday. Tonight, Joint Health Sector Unions and Professional Associations has issued a statement and they are joining themselves to that planned 
strike from Tuesday. How is this going to affect our wards? And I'm referring to the hospitals and the OPDs and so on. Dr. Justice Yangsin is Vice President of GMA. Doc, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you, Mara. Um, you are you are joining yourself. Uh, you are saying that from Tuesday you would also be on strike, but it will be felt in January. Tell us what your your roadmap and action plan is. Well, uh, let me say that we are not joining ourselves. We are actually part of the decision that was made and communicated to the whole world by organized labor. We were present. We participated in the deliberation. We signed the document as well. We were part of the press conference. So uh, this is not as if we were sitting somewhere and uh, we just come in to join what somebody else is probably started. No, we are part of organized labor. We have taken the extraordinary step as professional associations within the health sector to come up with this roadmap for one simple reason. The nature of our jobs is such that we cannot uh, abandon the entire hospital in a day. So we have decided to have a graduated kind of activity. So technically speaking, effective 27th, if government has not acceded to the request of labor, i.e. exempt pensions from this order exchange program, then what will happen is that from the 27th, which is the first day for the strike, as declared by organized labor, all the health sector unions or professions will stay away from the outpatient department. So the outpatient departments or the OPDs are the usual clinics where you walk in, you have your medication, what have you, you consult a doctor, and then you go back home or maybe a decision is taken to either admit you or send you into the emergency or even give you a referral. So that is the OPD one. They're working, you are sorted, and then depend on what it is, the next is follow. So come 27 December, if nothing has happened and the strike begins, all the health sector associations are saying that the OPD will not be running. What it means is that we will be left with the inpatient care as well as the emergency room. Now, if post-27, nothing happens, and we get to 2nd January 2023, then effective 2nd January, all emergency services will also be closed down. So from 2nd January, the OPDs will not be working, as well as the emergency rooms. Then, depending on what happens, by the 9th of January, all services, and that will include the inpatient care, theater work, what have you, all of it will then be brought to a complete cause. So basically, this is how the health sector union slash professional associations have agreed to run this particular activity should the demands not be met come 27 December and beyond. Is it the case that government is not minding you at all or there have been overtures made but which overtures were not satisfactory? Well, as far as I'm concerned, we are where we are. Nothing has changed. So for us, we have 
communicated our intentions to the whole world. The onus is now on government and the Ministry of Finance to be specific. They have the onus to exempt a pension fund from this whole debt exchange program. And I guess that will bring a lot more um, peace as far as the industrial front is concerned. All right, we'll be watching the space to see if there's a way government will arrest that strike of yours before Tuesday. Thank you so much for speaking to us, Doc. Thank you very much. Uh, Dr. Justice Yangsin, he's Vice President of the Ghana Medical Association, the GMA. Let's return to the forum organized by City TV and CTFM today, which had to do with what next after the debt restructuring program. We heard from Bright Simmons. Who else spoke? Eno. So, speaking on the same panel, an investor and economic policy analyst, Senor Hussi, indicated that debt restructuring has far more reaching consequences than anticipated and may lead to jobs. He therefore charged the government to reduce its expenditure. So, government must lead in this entire exercise. First of all, government must realize it is primarily responsible. Mm-hmm. You have got more resources than ever before. Our debt in 2016 was just what about 27, 28 billion. Mm-hmm. We have doubled it in dollar terms. I'm not talking about this politics of um, CD can. What has that really driven this economy to? Somebody will tell you that when you spend um, uh, government spends, it grows uh, the GDP. Yes, it does, but not sustainably. That's why it's the productive sectors of an economy that really sustains the growth. So when government is spending. It should stimulate productivity, sustainable productivity. So when I want to do free SHS, I want to spend it in a way that it unlocks a lot of industries at the same time. So those industries and the revenue from them ultimately come back and compensate. We don't do that. We just spend our social social and and, and political interventions. That's why you borrow so much. And you look at the ratio. Let me summarize that ratio for everybody to possibly understand. Uh, Are net borrowing? Since 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 2017, it's 37 billion. All right, that is what we we have. That's what we have. I'm sorry, our our um, our our capital expenditure is 37 billion. Then our net borrowing is 233 billion. So you borrow 233 billion incremental in uh, uh, what the name uh, debt, but you only spend 37 in capital expenditure that should sustain and drive the economy. Senor Hussi is an investor and economic policy analyst. Now, political economist Mavis Ousu advocated for stakeholder engagements to come out with policy directions towards preventing a return to the International Monetary Fund. So the idea behind the compact is, irrespective of who you are, political affiliation, religion, sex, class, age, ethnicity, race, and yes, we have race in Ghana, so irrespective of who you are, let's all come together on a common platform to agree some basic fundamentals. And our argument is that by the time the next president takes of power in Ghana, okay, he or she will be setting us on a journey which will be the beginning of the second quarter of the 21st century. What kind of Ghana do we want at the end of the first half of the 21st century? Because let's look back at the first quarter. It's not one we can say we are fully proud of. So what Ghana do we want at the end of that 21st century? And 
if we can all come together and agree a common vision of that Ghana, okay? So it doesn't matter whether you are NPP or you are NDC, it doesn't matter whether you are Muslim or Christian. Well, maybe it doesn't matter. we try this before? We have ah. NDPC there, I'll which come, is supposed I'll, to lead that chat, yet we ignore it. I'll, I'll tell you why it's not working. And, and, you know, when we start talking about some of the later questions in the conversation, I'll tell you why it's not working with NDPC right now, okay? So we have an issue around the vision because the other thing also is that we have NDPC vision 2020 was mm -hmm. written by one government yeah. it was binned by another the 40-year plan written by one government binned by another mm -hmm. SDGs everybody signed up to it but everybody has a different interpretation of what they are focusing on that is the problem we don't have a singular agreed vision across all lines we need to do that secondly we need to introduce accountability. Mavis Ousu is Executive Vice President of Africa Center for Economic Transformation. Away from that, the Ghana Private Road Transport Union says it is still in talks with various commercial transport operators to comply with the 15.3% reduction in transport fares. City News' checks at some lorry terminals in Accra show that the directive, which was to take effect from December 19, is not being adhered to. While some drivers have vowed not to reduce the fares, others have reduced it at a percentage lower than what has been approved. Speaking to City News, the Industrial Relations Office of the GPRTU, Abbas Imoro pleaded with the commercial transport operators to reduce the fares accurately. Uh, the way we communicate to our drivers on any increment is the same way we communicate to them on these cities. Like we know this is the first time we are learning how to work backwards. We knew definitely there would be something you know, Obstacles. We are still pleading with those who haven't paid for the reduction to do so because it could be better you do it yourself than for somebody to force you to do what they are supposed to do. So we still plead with them to make sure they adjust themselves to the current situation, meaning the reduction that will come up. You can you would refuse your and you expect that the passengers will leave you to have your way. It won't be possible. Any time we increase myself, we come out of community and in about one hour, it's circulate throughout the security. Why can't we do the same for this reduction? We still have to engage our people in a very soft dialogue. That was the Industrial Relations Officer of the Ghana Private Road Transport Union, Abbas Imoro. The African Centre for Parliamentary Affairs, ASEPA, says concerns over the membership of political leaders on the Parliamentary Service Board are legitimate. The chairman of the National Media Commission, Yao Buedu Ayabuafo, at a recent program in Parliament, raised issues with the chairman of the National Democratic Congress, Johnson Asiedun Katia, on Parliament's advisory board. According to him, political leaders on the Parliamentary Service Board compromises the objectivity and neutrality that the House is supposed to maintain. Reacting to the concerns, the executive director of ASEPA, Dr. Rashid Rahman, said the board has been overly politicized and indicated that Mr. Siedun Katia resigns from the board.
Uh, actually, very long overdue uh, because over the years, I think we've had the practice where, you know, Parliament uh, and speakers of Parliament bring into the Parliamentary Service Board uh, people from outside of Parliament. And most of the time, rather than look at perhaps maybe people who are not political, uh, the whole appointment process has always been political in nature. So essentially, you have one person from the NDC and one person from the MPP. Dr. Rashid Rahman is Executive Director of the Africa Centre for Parliamentary Affairs. The New Patriotic Party says the Nanadu-led government deserves commendation for steps taken to address economic challenges facing the economy. The country over the past six months has recorded deteriorating economic indicators with inflation hitting 50.3% and a depreciating city that has increased cost of living. The city has recently, however, appreciated against the dollar, bringing it down to eight Ghana cities to a dollar, which was hovering around 15 cities a month ago. The General Secretary of the NPP, Justin Kouria-Frimpon, at a press conference assured that steps taken by government will continue to yield positive results. We should not attribute the gains to the government intervention. So we ask if government can be blamed for city depreciation, why can't this same government be credited for the appreciation in the value of the city? Anyway, we leave this to the judgment of you descending Ghanaians, and that's to be count of the NDC. We also find it as gratifying that owing to the massive appreciation in the value of the city, prices of petroleum products at the pump have reduced resulting in a 15.3 reduction in transport fares as announced by the transport unions. Although I must admit that these developments may not entirely address the prevailing social economic condition in the country, we do believe strongly that they may offer a sigh of relief to Ghanaians, especially as we approach the festive season. Certainly, there could not have been a better Christmas gift to all of us. And indeed, we must commend this government. You heard the General Secretary of the NPP, Justin Frimpong Kuria. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction. Every market movement. And all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. It's time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News brought to you by First National Bank and powered by citybusinessnews.com. 
I'm Nashika Siza. Let's settle for the details. Ghana's gross domestic products GDP growth rate for the third quarter of 2022 has slowed down to 2.9% year on year as compared to the same period of 2021, which was at 6.5%. This was revealed by the Ghana Statistical Service GSS, who also indicated that a growth rate without oil and gas for the third quarter of 2022 is 3.6% which compares to the same period in 2021 with a growth rate of 8.2%. The agricultural sector recorded the highest growth rate of 4.6%, followed by the services sector with a growth rate of 3.9%, while the industry sector recorded a 0.9% growth rate. Here is the government statistician, Professor Samuel Enin. GDP at current prices for the third quarter of 2022 stood at 149,876.7 million Ghana cities for the third quarter of 2022. In constant terms, GDP for the third quarter of 2022 stood at 44,289.7 million Ghana cities. This leads to a 2.9 growth rate between the third quarter of 2021 and the third quarter of 2022. On a seasonally adjusted GDP point of view, between the second quarter of 2022 and the third quarter of 2022, the economy grew by 0.7%, indicating a 0.3 percentage point decline between the growth rate that was recorded in the second quarter of 2022 and the third quarter of 2022. The contributing factors for the growth rate of 2.9% was heavily driven by the mining and quarry subsector, which grew by 14.1% for the third quarter of 2022. The growth rate of 14.1% for the mining and quarry subsector contributes 1.8% of the 2.9% percentage growth rate that recorded in the third quarter of 2022. The subsector that contributed in terms of the decline in the growth rate for the third quarter of 2022 was the manufacturing subsector, which contracted by 0.9% for the third quarter of 2022. Professor Samuel Enin is the government statistician. Now, the Used Clothing Dealers Association has announced a 35% reduction on the prices of their goods. The move, according to the association, is in accordance with the appreciation of the CD, which is currently selling at 8 Ghana CDs to a dollar after selling for about 16 Ghana CDs sometime last month. In a press release issued by the association, their members encouraged government to continue to stabilize the local currency. In a related development, the Ghana Union of Traders Association, Guta, has stated that the reduction of the dollar rate from 13 Ghana cities to 8 Ghana cities for the purpose of duty payment will go a long way to mitigate the plight of the consuming public. Away from that, the Importers and Exporters Association is predicting a major reduction in the prices of goods by the first quarter of 2023. According to figures from the Ghana Statistical Service, inflation went up by 9.9% to 50.3% in the month of November 2022, the highest figure recorded in 27 years. This was due to the free fall of the city in the last few months. The Executive Secretary of the Association, Samson Asakia Wing, but however showed that if the local currency continues regaining its strength against the major trading currencies, consumers can have can heave a sigh of relief as the prices of goods will go down drastically by Easter time. So it is only Easter goods that we can see a drastic reduction of prices. Or from now to first quarter, January, February, anybody who have other goods and that arrived within that period 
paid a lower rate at the port, then of course, why not? But as you speak now, the cargo that has already arrived in the country, whether in the port or in the market now, all what we have seen is that uh, we have already suffered the penalties already or the consequences already. We need to know how long would this sustainability would be. I've heard the parameters say it's the will of God. So meaning government have not done anything strategically or drastically to reduce this price. I don't know what what are the measures that put in place and how it adequately this they will be able to sustain this rate that we are seeing now. And that if I can't call for a total reduction of price because I wouldn't want to remember I will call for it today and by December and then by January then they still depreciate okay. again then I will come back to asking for a reduction or an increase of prices because the city is depreciating. No. I'm not praying I'm not I'm not a doomsayer. I'm not praying that the city to depreciate more. We are all saying that all things being equal. All things being equal, exactly. Samson Asakia Wingabet is the Executive Secretary of the Importers and Exporters Association. Now, an economist, Dr. Patrick Isumin, is urging government to come out with a strategic long-term plan to help the country build back the economy. This, he notes, will help put an end to the country's continuous dependence on the International Monetary Fund, IMF, for directions on fiscal consolidation and revenue generation. This comes days after the IMF and government reached a staff-level agreement with Ghana on economic policies and reforms to be supported by a new three-year arrangement under the extended credit facility of about $3 billion U.S. dollars. Dr. Patrick Isumin has been speaking to City Business News. A lot of promises have been made in, in the agreement. If you saw, there's a lot of obligations on the government of Ghana before the deal will happen. So we have to do some funding assurances and we need assurances that the debt tracking has actually happened. But beyond that, you've seen that this time we've mentioned a lot of things about restructuring. There's both restructuring of public finances, dealing with uh, revenue mobilization, expenditure rationalization. But there's also something about the government's own economic program, which uh, the post-COVID Program of economic growth. So, you know, on paper, this seems like we are trying to address some of the key challenges that the, the economy, the real side of the economy, as well as the government finance, have faced in the past. But these are only on paper. You have to say that some of the things that have been contained, even the seven point agenda, they are not entirely new. They are things that were a key part of the current government's flagship uh, program and So, just because we have uh, these good sounding policies on paper doesn't mean we really have to actually go out there and implement them there. So I hope that the government will go in the stakeholder consultation and ensure that you get further buying for the actual implementation. At the moment, we know they are struggling because uh, some key stakeholders are kicking against the, the debt testing program that was announced. Dr. Patrick Isumin is an economist. Finally, on the interbank foreign exchange markets where banks trade among themselves, the dollar remained unchanged and is selling at eight cities. The British pound lost one peso and is selling at nine cities, 74 pesos. The euro remained unchanged and is selling at eight cities, five pesos. However, at some forex bureaus, the dollar is selling at nine cities, 30 pesos. The British pound is selling at 11 cities, 30 pesos, while the euro is selling at 10 CDs. And that's all for City Business News and Eyewitness News, which was powered by citybusinessnews.com and sponsored by First National Bank. My name is Nashika Caesar. Up next is Point Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens.
This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News. My name is Umaru Sandamadu. Tonight on Parliament, uh, on Point Blank, we are going back to Parliament. The Minister for Sports and MP for Yagba Kubori, Yoruba Mustafa Yusuf, has been speaking and giving a breakdown of how much we spent in Qatar when our Black Stars went there to disappoint us. We got off at the group stage, but apparently we spent five... Okay, I'll let the minister say it himself. Let's listen to the Minister for Youth and Sports, Mustafa Yusuf. The 2022 edition of the FIFA World Cup hosted in Qatar was the 22nd edition of the World Cup and the first time an Arabian country hosted it. The 32 countries of FIFA 211 members drawn from continental federations participated in the tournament and Ghana was one of the five countries representing the African continent after a certain qualifying series. Mr. Speaker, the Qatar 2022 FIFA World Cup marked Ghana's fourth participation in the World Cup, having participated in the 2006, 2010, and 2014 edition in Germany, South Africa, and Brazil, respectively. Ghana went into the, into the World Cup FIFA 2022 World Cup with the following objective, to better our high standard set at the previous World Cup appearance. Ghana qualified for the second round during the last time made an appearance in 2006 and also reached quarterfinals in the 2010 edition in South Africa. The main objective was therefore to emulate this great feat and also better it. And to you, Mr. Speaker, to use the World Cup as a platform to market the tourism potential of our country through the Visit Ghana initiative. Three, to use the World Cup as a global platform to market the talent our country is blessed with and to create more opportunity for Ghanaian footballers and clubs. Four, to use the, our qualification and participation in the World Cup to revive corporate and, corporate and investor confidence in football ecosystem and to use our participation in the World Cup to rekindle national unity and the spirit of patriotism. Mr. Speaker, to achieve the above objective, especially the objective to better our remarkable quarterfinals record at the World Cup, there was the need to ensure adequate preparation for the team and also mobilize resources to complement government expenditure on the team and other related expenses. In accordance with the government white paper on the Mafia Commission report, which investigated Ghana participa- participation at the Brazil 2014 World Cup, the Ministry of Youth and Sports decided to facilitate for Ghanaian fans to be able to travel to Qatar to support the blaster through private and corporate support. Therefore, the Ministry fundraising drive was focused in appealing to corporate Ghana to donate holistically towards the campaign in order to able to send Ghanaian support, supporters to the team. The Ministry of Youth and Sports formed a fundraising committee chaired by my able Deputy Minister, with membership including the Deputy, Minister, Deputy Ministers from Lands and Natural Resources, Energy and the Ministry of Finance. Mr. Speaker, the President's personal intervention also helped in our fundraising drive. A number of corporate organizations came on board to support the blaster and this includes MTN Ghana, KGL Foundation, Goldface Ghana Limited, and also um, and among others. To support realize the fundraising campaign, 
contributed immensely towards complementing government's expenditure towards the welcome campaign. Following the confirmation of Coach Utuado as the next head coach of the team of the World Cup, the Minister of Youth and Sports offered the coach and the technical team all the needed support to aid their work. Part of this was the Ministry's support of the proposal to beef up the technical team with a blend of local and foreign experts for the World Cup. In view of this, experienced tactician Chris Hilton, along other two Ghanaian co coaches, Didi Dramani and George Watson were appointed to assist our head coach, Otwado. Also, the ministry supported the GFA proposal to appoint four Ghanaian local coaches, namely Prosper Ogun, Ibrahim Tanko, Samuel Bwedu, and Ignatius Fosu, were also appointed to provide support services to the technical team. Other technical personnel for medical medic, uh, video analysts, physical training were also appointed. That, Team preparation. Mr. Speaker, Ghana team preparation for the World Cup began with right after the qualification with a number of technical, technical teams traveling around various leagues in Europe to monitor Ghanaian players born in Ghana and abroad to Ghanaian parents. As a result of this, a number of players born abroad to Ghanaian parents declared their interest to switch their allegiance and nationality to play for the Blasters. This gave the technical team a broad scope as they monitor Ghanaian players ahead of the World Cup. Some of these players switched their nationality and ended their self-imposed ban from the national team and were eventually called into the World Cup squad. Friendly matches, Mr. Speaker. Part of Ghana preparation were two international friendly matches between the Blasters and Brazil and Nicaragua. The Blasters faced Brazil in France in September 2022 and lost 3-0, and the Blaster made amends in a few days later in Spain, defeating Nicaragua 1-0 in another international friendly match, pre-tournament camp in Abu Dhabi. Prior to the pre-tournament camp in Abu Dhabi, the head coach of the Blaster named a provisional 55-man squad, which the final squad was 26 players were selected. With all the major European league halting their Nick a week to the World Cup to pave way for the tournament. The Blaster officially began their pre-tournament preparation in Abu Dhabi, UAE. Immediately after the break, the, the European League with the 26 players selected for the World Cup. As part of the final phase preparation for the Blaster played its final friendly match against Switzerland in Abu Dhabi on November 17, 2022, before departing to Qatar, the Blaster won the match 2-0 against their the Switzerland counterparts. The Blaster arrived in Qatar with the World, for the World Cup on November 18, 2022, clad with a beautiful traditional football and kente dresses. With the host of global media covering the Blaster arrival, it offered the country a perfect opportunity to highlight and market our traditional outfit to the world. Overall, the Blaster was made up of 26 players and 21 technical teams and management members comprising the Blaster Management Committee and the Executive Council of the GFA. The quest of the ministry was to keep the team motivated, inspired and focused before, during the tournament. In view of this, the ministry, with the support of the Ministry of Finance, ensure all monetary issues, especially bonuses and allowances, 
which ruined our campaign in Brazil eight years ago, were amicably, amicably, amicably discussed and resolved before the tournament. The ministry, in, co in collaboration with the GFA, also ensured the establishment of a strong team bond, respect, dignity, support, and the team ethics prior to and during the tournament. Essentially, government support the GFA and the Blaster was enormous, and government ensured that key areas such as financial commitment, technical support, team preparation, team reinforcement and motivation, as well as vicifural support for the national team were met. The Blaster began their campaign against Portugal on the 24th November 2022. Unfortunately, the Blaster lost the game 3-2 to Portugal, despite a spirited comeback from a goal down. This was a match that ended the Blaster Global Police due to the remarkable manner they fought back through the match. The Blaster won the second league game against South Korea with 3-2 to keep Ghana's World Cup dream alive ahead of the final match. This was another difficult match for the Blaster, but we emerged winners. After surviving a scare from the South Koreans who came from two go down to two two level. The Ghana required at least a point to advance to the next stage of the competition in the, in the Blaster final group match against Uruguay. But unfortunately, Mr. Speaker, the Blaster lost two zero. At the end of the group stage, the Blaster bowed out of the competition as the only as our only win against South Korea which gave us three points, was not enough to ensure our qualification to the next stage of the, of the tournament. Mr. Speaker, benefits of Qatar to our country. In spite of the Ghana dis disappointing inability to qualify from the group stage to the next round of the tournament, participating in the World Cup, without doubt, gave Ghana intangible benefits, as it did in all participating countries. Some of the benefits, Mr. Speaker, are as follows. Unlike other football tournaments in which Ghana spent a lot of money to ensure qualification, preparation and, and bonuses without commensurate price money, the FIFA World Cup is financially rewarded. Once a nation qualifies, Mr. Speaker, for the 2022 World Cup, Ghana was paid an amount of 1.5 million US dollars for, for preparation. In addition to this, Ghana is entitled to an amount of 9 million as a participation fee, making it a total of 10.5 million earnings for the country. Considering the investment government have made in the team from qualifying stage, preparation, allowances, bonuses for players and officials, such, reta such return in price money is a welcome relief and to at least recoup part of the investment which will aid government's continuous responsibility towards all sporting development in the country. Pride of participation. Ghana was among the 32 countries out of which FIFA member country which qualified for the World Cup. Having missed the 2018 edition in Russia, it was extremely, extremely important for the country to qualify for this edition and make amends which eluded us. Tourism and investment potential. Surely, Mr. Speaker, qualifying for the World Cup comes with its own tourism and investment opportunity, both in private sector and the public sector. Following our qualification, the Ministry of Youth and Sports, as one of the major stakeholders of the World Cup, took advantage of our qualification to initiate investment and support discussion with our Qatari sports organization. In the coming months, these discussions were intensified 
And it is our hope that government will benefit immensely from our discussion. Conclusion, Mr. Speaker, I have, I have to once again express the Ministry's disappointment, which reflects the mood of Ghanaian people, for the inability of the blast up across to, to progress from the group stage to the next round, as well as as we look forward. Mr. Speaker, all of us, government, parliament, corporate Ghana, and the good, good people of Ghana did our best in support of our national team. And I believe the team, on the second account of what we saw, also gave, also gave off their best. Unfortunately, it wasn't the best to see us through to the next stage. As I have often said, we must learn from our mistakes to ensure a brighter future of our national teams. It will begin with serious reforms, and, the, and government through the Ministry of Defense Force is committed in leading these reforms. Mr. Speaker, the Qatar 2022 World Cup was a test case for us as a nation, since it marked our first World Cup since the government white paper of the uh, 2014 World Commission report. And I'm happy that, with the support of stakeholders, issues which attracted negative global publicity in the country eight years ago in Brazil were completely off. Ensuring a serene, transparent World Cup process, facilitating private, su private support for Ghanaian fans to travel to the World Cup, as, well, as recommended by the White Paper, especially in the midst of difficult financial challenges, gave the Ministry a great satisfaction. Mr. Speaker, let me use this opportunity once again to thank His Excellency the President of the Republic, Nana Arudankwe Kufuado, for his so that's the Minister for Youth and Sports and MP for Yaba Kubori, Mustafa Yusuf, giving an account to Parliament, the People's Representative, on how much we spent and how we fared at the World Cup in Qatar 2022. That'll be it for Eyewitness News tonight. My name is Umaru Sanda Amadou. Production by Zoe Abu Beidu, Beverly London, Hansen Ajiman. Technical support from Daniel Squashi. We'll be back tomorrow at 17.30 GMT. Thank you for listening. Good night. City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959. And get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM, and on Twitter at City 973.